1: Well, welcome back. A few things as we head into our second hour do I enjoy uh, going into the weekend with. Of course, we have a third hour, but going into the weekend with uh, better than um, our visits with Pete Peterson. Um, He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. He is a um, big thinker. And uh, a big thinker about serious things, and it's, it's just great to wrap up the weeks with him when we have those opportunities. His website uh, for at Pepperdine uh, University is publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Pete, happy Friday. I hope you're doing well, sir. Thanks for being with us.
2: Great to be back with you, Seth, and happy Friday.
1: Thank you. Tell me about that Reagan. Uh, tell me about that Reagan speech you're uh, you're promoting and doing. Uh, doing doing a kind of a a memorial around from 1976. Did I hear that right? Uh, Coming into work today, I heard a blurb about you promoting a, a, a Pepperdine um, uh, interest in the School of, of Public Policy around in 1976. Was it a 76 broadcast or was it a little earlier that Ronald Reagan gave?
2: No, it was exactly – you're absolutely right. 1976, uh, we – as part of our 25th anniversary, we put together an anniversary promotional video for the school, and uh, when we were looking for a theme, um, I had actually participated in a – I'm sure you're familiar with the Liberty Fund and their colloquia that they have, and I happened to go to one last summer – that was focused on Ronald Reagan's uh, thinking around public uh, policy and and foreign affairs mm-hmm. and where it developed from, and it gave me occasion to read um, one of his uh, GE radio addresses. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so this was after he was governor right. and before certainly the his presidency, mm-hmm. um, and he had a, an address that was called "Shaping the World for a Hundred Years to Come," and it's a fascinating story that uh, he. Just so well captures in a drive down the coast from his home in uh, Santa Barbara to Los Angeles, where he was uh, being tasked with being a uh, the MC of an event to put a time capsule.
1: Uh huh. Oh yes. Oh yes. Now ground, I guess yes, yes, yes. Right.
2: Oh, yes. So this was 1976. Yes. A lot of that stuff was happening back then. Obviously around the bicentennial and. And uh, the time capsule was going to have a lot of things put into it, and it was due to be opened in a hundred years. Yes. and it forces, or it just doesn't force, but it prompts Reagan to think, "What is the world going to look like in yeah. a hundred years?"
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And so the name, the title of the piece is "Shaping the World for a Hundred Years to Come," and it really is a marvelous metaphor for the importance of public service in that many of the decisions that our political and policy leaders make today uh, will in fact shape the world that we live in for uh, decades and, and centuries to come. So I read that, and when we had the opportunity as part of this 25th anniversary to try to capture what it is, the work that we do here at the Policy School, I thought about that and just thought that would be a perfect nice theme for this promotional video, which features many of our students, some of our alumni and faculty, essentially reading uh, that address from Reagan. And we worked with the library, uh, the Reagan Library, over the hill here in, the C- in Simi Valley, which was very gracious in um, giving us rights to the radio audio uh, from that uh, GE radio address. And we incorporate that into the video itself. Well, so you can, you can find it up on the Pepperdine uh, policy YouTube page, but it's a, it's a brief, about three-minute video. But uh, yeah, it's a great, great theme and a great way to think about uh, public policy and politics.
1: It's also a great way to think about the way Reagan's mind worked, in a way. Maybe we need to ask Steve Hayward, unless maybe you know already, but that is the theme at which he spoke the month prior at the Republican convention. Remember when he gave those impromptu remarks at the yeah. 1976 convention? Yep. It was yep. the story he told. I think it was about the – it would have it been was? in August anyway. Yeah. So uh, maybe yeah. maybe that was working. He was working it out in his mind. Maybe he already had it out. Some, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. He Or maybe he heard it resonate with the audience as he was thinking it out loud yeah. because it was impromptu. And then he sat down and scribbled it out for his scribbled it. I didn't mean it dismissively, but you know that's how he well, wrote he, he scribbled his yeah notes. that's yeah. right no he, yeah in
2: fact the 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 piece itself was he describes himself uh riding in the back of a car that you know that's taking him down from Santa Barbara, and he's there with his legal pad, and he's writing this out, yeah, what his remarks are going to be, and yeah. then in the midst of writing this out, it just strikes him that yeah. oh my goodness, this is a actually uh, a very kind of profound. Thing that we're doing here to put something in the ground that's yeah. going to be open by people. We have no idea what that world is going to look like. You
1: know? Yeah, that's right. So it would be interesting to know how that developed from that speech yeah. to the to the broadcast that you're speaking of. He made it a little more partisan, obviously, at the convention, but not much more. Right. It's 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 close. It's close to the same. Now that I remember that the 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 broadcast you're speaking of. One of the great things, just another stroll down memory lane if I might with you Pete. One of the one yep. of there was a documentary on Reagan some 15 20 years ago. It was before the publication of Edmund Morris's book which right. I think was called Dutch, which I think yeah. was a waste. That's right. But uh yep. but before that book, Dutch was interviewed, uh, excuse me, uh Edmund Morris was interviewed on PBS about that 1976 convention moment, and I'll never forget what he said. He said after Ford gave – got the nomination and he summoned Ronald Reagan to the stage to give that whatever it was, two-and-a-half, three-minute impromptu speech, he said you could almost feel in the convention a sense in the audience saying we just nominated the wrong guy. I'll yeah. never forget Edmund Moore saying that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I and and of course, he was not the only person to, <laughs> to think that. And <laughs> even when you look back at video from that, yeah. you can see the faces yeah. of others yeah. up on the dais yeah. there just yeah. – Realizing, wow, what
1: yeah, a, yeah, what a
2: powerful address, and it, and of course that sets up eighty, yeah, right? right? I mean, you can very you can draw a fairly straight line from that speech and what it meant to those who were gathered there in the hall, and and what happened, what transpired four years uh, later. I
1: think that's right. I think I think it's it's two lines. It's a it's it's a straight line with a dot in the middle, with a connecting. Let's what would you call that? A connecting flight in the middle and that yeah. connecting flight would be the Panama Canal debate with Billion yeah. Buckley i think somewhere yeah. 78 maybe i would say yeah. that because a lot of people were tuning in to see if reagan you know had it you know yeah. to, to take yeah. on buckley and he did
2: <laughs> yeah i think no that was that's right yeah
1: that's so that's so interesting i was thinking of that uh as you were talking about um, Reagan in '76, and then I knew you would, of course, take it to '80 because I was. I recently had the occasion to just watch some some of those old firing line special debates, and yeah. uh, from the '70s, from the '80s, and I, I really encourage listeners to go back and, and watch them. The caliber uh, of oh, yeah. not just Buckley, but the kinds of people who was around him. I, w- I was, I was shocked in a, one debate on on the Soviet on on confronting the Soviet Union by not only how good Pat Schroeder and George McGovern were on the other side of one of these debates, but yeah. how winsome they were and willing to debate and joke a little and go, I just, yeah. you pine for that. But I also yeah, had to did. tell you that I, I was impressed with, much more impressed with the conservatives than too the caliber. Something's fallen here, Pete. It's not the same caliber.
2: We just yeah. don't have it. Not, yeah. not if yeah. they
1: don't attend your school anyway. <laughs>
2: Very good, Very
1: good. <laughs> well, that's fun that's fun. What a nice little piece of history in connecting that dot of 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 the, of the G e broadcast in the nineteen seventy six speech and it also embraces that theme, if i 'm not mistaken of 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 the of the line that Reagan used forever, uh, which was uh, since nineteen sixty one at least, which was the line of you know if we don't do this, we'll be telling our children." You know, and grandchildren, what it was once like to live in America, where men and women were free. Right? I mean, that was the whole point.
2: Right. And 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 the speech really does cut two ways. As as you say, it wasn't a particularly partisan speech, but there 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 were um, opinions made on um government spending yep. and taxation yep. on the domestic side. Yep. But he also went into obviously this is 1976 yep. right in the teeth of the Cold War. Yeah. Um he has some phrasing around, you know, will we still be living in sure. a time when sure. uh countries have missiles pointed at one another and of course we incorporate that into the current because mm-hmm. uh as some have said um uh and no less an authority than than the historian Neil Ferguson yep. up at Hoover, uh, he believes that we're in, a, uh, in Cold War II yes, and, uh, with yes, China. Yes. And yes. I think that's certainly at least an argument worth encountering.
1: He, I think in that GE broadcast, replaced when uh, people knew a place called America when the world was free to a place when the world was beautiful. I think he mm-hmm. replaced free with beautiful in the GE speech that you yeah. talk about. Anyway, Pete, I uh, got to take a quick commercial break. We'll move on to more contemporary matters when we come right back if that's okay with you. My guest, Pete Peterson, he is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. What a great Twitter feed at Pete for CA too. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Pete Peterson is my guest. He is uh, the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, as I was saying, also a very active and smart Twitter feed, at Pete, the number four C-A. Pete, uh, it was a big week, uh, pu- public policy-wise, politics-wise, uh, and it's ending uh, with a bang uh, in, uh, in places like Iowa, uh, it looks like. Um, what, what struck you mostly in the news this week?
2: I think what um I think we're waiting to hear whether there's going to be a national address tonight from yeah. the president yeah. regarding the signing of this um uh debt ceiling mm-hmm. agreement um and one of the things that's really struck me about the debate over the debt ceiling uh is two things one um most are remarking that uh Kevin McCarthy um, did very well in in the negotiations so far he, he was able to uh, to assemble at least some um, you know responsibility uh, within the budget going forward over the next few years and the and the debt ceiling And I think at least in part that is related to a broader public perception that I am perceiving that americans are are in large measure, Equating federal spending and excessive federal spending with inflation and that ability to tie in federal spending with the cost that everyone bears. And mm-hmm. as we all know, inflation is a recessionary tax, a regressive tax on everyone. Um, that's that's a major sea change um, in the views that Americans have on Uh, the importance of of being more responsible in our federal budget. So Mm -hmm. that's that's one. The second thing is that the debate around the debt ceiling showed a – I I think gave us a window into a a pretty major policy and political question that we first saw in the area of election administration, Mm -hmm. which is to say – Were the measures, were the emergency measures triggered by the response to the COVID pandemic actual emergency measures that needed to be unwound once the crisis was over, as we've seen in every other major national and global crisis in American history? Yes. Or... Is this somehow being argued to be the new normal in whatever the policy area we might be looking at? Okay. And so when we look at the debt ceiling deal, the debt to GDP ratio, which is something economists look at because that is the area in which evaluating government federal spending, if it persists over 110 or 115 percent, right. you begin to trigger some other mechanisms where more federal spending is actually going into servicing the debt than into actual programs.
1: Right, right.
2: Well, for the last three years, as we've come out of, certainly worked our way through COVID and out, for the last three years, we have been over 120 yep. percent debt to GDP.
1: Yeah, that's the way to look at it. Yeah.
2: First time in American history. Yeah. Worse than World War II. But what happened after World War II, if you look back at the debt-to-GDP levels there that were over 100%, they were around 110 or 115% during that crisis response, we quickly worked our way back into the 50s and 60 percentile ranges as Mm -hmm. Americans came out of that furious spending that we went into in response to an acknowledged global crisis. The Democrats don't seem to be at the table to even have this discussion about whether saying, were these last three years an anomaly or are they setting a new bar for where we should be going from here? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: And I'm not hearing Republicans really make that argument. But to me, this really needs to be a national debate over whether the furious government spending that we entered into in response to COVID, whatever we think about that, shouldn't we at least agree that that crisis is over?
1: That's a great point, Pete. And um, having not looked at the budget's uh, numbers uh, recently, is memory serving that it about we, we about doubled our spending? We about doubled our spending. To, to That's ma- right. To, is that close to right in your mind, too? Yeah. Yep. And, and if you consider—yeah, wow, okay. Uh, you're making a very important point here.
2: Well, and it leads to this other question that we've raised occasionally is around election administration. Yeah. Right? Right. So many states that sought after the crisis of COVID, again, whatever we might think right. about the responses around absentee ballots and right. some of the other things that were argued that this needed to be done in light of this emergency,
1: mm-hmm.
2: that as soon as the crisis was over and states began to go back to their status quo ante mm-hmm. or what their election administration processes were prior to COVID.
1: Yeah, that, that, yeah. The
2: president (laughs) stepped out and said this was Jim Crow 2.0. Yes,
1: yes, yes. He did say that. And And so you
2: wonder whether this broader conversation around public policy, which is to say, now that COVID is over, what are the other areas of public policy that we need to really revisit and say, is it still necessary to engage in either spending or election administration or public health administration in such a way that was a response to a crisis, but the crisis is now over.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. So the crisis may be, in fact, over, may be de facto over, but not yeah. de jure over, so that's to right.
2: speak. And, and it's being argued yeah. that it's not, yeah. And the and the rhetorical... Uh, tact of the left in much of this, you know I just mentioned this Jim Crow 2.0 mm-hmm. yep. from our president yep. but when you see the saw the spending debate around the debt ceiling, yep. every single thought that we might pull slightly back from the 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 spending mania right. that the federal government has engaged in over the last three years right. was seen as a level of austerity yep. that would leave. You know, yeah. everyone destitute. Yeah,
1: women, children, and orphans galore. Right, right. Yeah, for as far as the eye can see. Yes, and it needs to be added, and I know it's 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 a slight divergence from the point you're making, which I, I think is a great one, but it needs to be added, too, to think about the rhetoric that surrounded all that. The rhetoric you just pointed yep. out on, you know, to return to pre-COVID level spending would be the effect of the Great Depression. Um, the use of Jim Crow uh, when it came to uh, adjusting to status quo ante voting procedures which is i 'm not mistaken centered particularly on the state of Georgia that saw an increase if i 'm not exactly mistaken right. of african right. American votes uh, right and uh, after returning to the status quo ante yeah
2: well and the re-election of two Democratic US senators there you go. by the way yeah. along with a Republican governor They're,
1: right 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 so right no so so that rhetoric needs 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 a great deal of taming and perhaps some on our side too um, mm-hmm. you know I heard for a week that this was the from many that this was the worst piece of legislation in their lifetime uh, there's others <laughs> I mean but 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 the rhetoric around, around these things, the effect of crying wolf, Pete, is getting Americans to tune out in a way that they now ignore the point you're making, which I think is a very – probably the most serious point I've heard all week on this debate. So well done, sir. Thank you. Thank you for thinking that through. Um, let me take a quick break, and Pete Peterson and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Pete Peterson is my guest. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. If you are thinking about a career in public policy, this is the school, and uh, it's it's just a great faculty. It's a great student body, and it's obviously uh, leadership that's just tops with Pete. Uh, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu is the uh, website. Pete, I was uh, talking with the audience in the previous hour. A little bit about the – speaking of heated rhetoric that we were speaking of in the last segment that in our party, that's taking place around the primary race in um, between – well, between all the candidates really, but Mm -hmm. heavily between the Trump forces and the DeSantis forces. You you can see the the rhetoric between Trump and DeSantis themselves, but I follow a lot of their surrogates or I have followed a lot of people who became their surrogates as these things go, (laughs) so I'm still following them. And I have to tell you, I don't know if you're following them, but but uh, the rhetoric is more heated than anything I've seen in previous races. The accusations yeah. against each other—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's, uh, incendiary, and in, in some time, some cases even vulgar. And it dawns on me, you know, when you think about the policies of these two guys, you can un—or all of them, frankly—it's—it's it's not really. It's not the differences are of of small things. They may have to do with how you would have executed the policy differently or the Mm -hmm. personnel you would have used. Um, Mm -hmm. But the direction is in the same way and it just seems to me we need to watch this a little bit. These kind of heated primaries make us tune out um, and don't end up believing the other guy because none of these guys is the end of the republic.
2: Yeah, well, I guess I'd say a couple things on that. One is that Social media has really become just such a central part of broader campaigning and political communications that the ability to uh, lob grenades back and forth on social media is such an easy and quick thing to do. Nicely put. And then when you connect that to a media which... I will just say tends to lean left, <laughs> tends to uh, understand that they have a uh, an incumbent presidential candidate, at least by current appearances, that um, is weak mm-hmm. and is perceived as weak, where seventy percent of voters and at least in one poll said that they would prefer that he not run for reelection. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you're going to seek to amplify. Some of the mudslinging that's happening on the other side, which mm-hmm. makes everybody look bad, mm-hmm. yeah. involved in that, right? It's yeah. that old <laughs> phrase I forget who said it that you don't want to wrestle with a pig because <laughs> yeah. you get muddy and the pig loves yeah, it, right, right? 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 And and uh, so there, there's both where these charges are being lobbied with or lobbed, which is on social media often, but then the ability of the larger media, or the mainstream media, to amplify yeah. the friction, which again, just as you say, is really not based on policy it's disagreements.
1: Not. No, it's not. No, it's not. And where it is, it's kind of interesting, actually. Um, you know, the, the, it's it that when you look at the angles, the two top campaigns, DeSantis and Trump, are going after each other. It's kind of interesting. I would. I would. Venture to say Trump's base might consider itself a little bit more conservative or right wing in a non-pejorative sense, but the candidacy of Donald Trump is running a little bit to the left of Ron DeSantis, so there's that kind of dynamic that's going on too. But again, really, it's about personnel and execution. It's not a. It's not about the direction.
2: Yeah, and I and and President Trump, I think you know you you could ask the question about chicken or the egg, yeah. but I I think most would agree that if for whatever reason president trump was not running yeah. that we wouldn't see this level of vitriol going well, back Well, that's
1: and an forth. interesting point too that's an interesting point too there's something about him either either the egg or something about him yes i see what you're saying he engenders he engenders the incendiary or well, gives and it I a slightly safer space perhaps
2: well and i think what he is He seems to bring out in others in which there really is usual no, there's usually no policy critique. Yeah. Sometimes there is, but Sometimes. certainly in the nicknames that yeah. he will give other yeah. candidates, yeah. which is a which is a tactic nobody else uses. Right. <laughs> yes, that's right. right. Yes, that's correct. And he does it really very effectively. Yeah. I mean, if you just want to look at the the rhetorical impact of, of some of that.
1: Oh yeah, no, it's he knows how to put an image on someone. He knows he knows how to market. He knows how to brand. That's the way in, in two uses of that word. He knows how to brand someone, doesn't he? Or he something. knows how to brand. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And you will engage with with people whose own personalities are pretty outsized yeah, and yeah, yeah. from most reports yeah. DeSantis at least does not suffer fools. No. Nope. And so he is going to respond in kind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Anyway, it's a note about rhetoric and I, I, I if we could all, if we could all be a little yeah, if we could all be a little more thoughtful. But you're right about that Agreed. temptation. That temptation's right there as a zero sum. If I don't get something out fast and harsh, I'm nobody. Pete, I gotta hit a break. I'll be right back. Yep. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Pete Peterson is my guest. He is the Dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Uh, Just, just such a fine institution, Pete. Speaking of, let me see if I can make this segue work. Speaking of the um, uh, Republican primaries, um, some candidates own a certain issue or try to, you know, try to try to inject a certain issue into, into a higher level of conversation, into a more broad level of conversation. Some, you know, don't. But one who is is uh, your old uh, resident, uh, fellow resident Larry Elder, who's, who's campaigning very heavily on the importance of fatherhood mm-hmm. and trying to inject that as a, as a, as a topic that, that more people talk about. It's an issue near and dear to his heart. He's written on it. And, you know, sometimes candidates that don't make it through can change a national debate. I think of Steve Forbes and the flat tax, for example. There are other examples, um, and there was an interesting piece in the New York Times uh, on men and have and ha- how the culture ha- how men have lost their way in society. And it was a kind of a long review of Josh Hawley's books about it. Um, right? It was for the New York Times. I thought it was you know surprisingly decent review of what Josh Hawley was saying. Mm-hmm. But there is a crisis and it's not the same thing that people were worried about. She points out we've been talking about it for years, but it is different now and I think it is worse now and I and I and I wonder if that kind of stuff gets gets talked about in in your precincts as well.
2: Well, it's certainly um and by precincts if we think about higher education, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is becoming a yeah. major uh, topic of discussion yeah. among uh administrators, uh college university deans, mm-hmm. presidents and so forth. Uh even here at Pepperdine University, we're looking at the data of incoming undergrads. And yeah. it's it's coming pretty close to sixty forty, if not sixty five thirty five women uh women yeah. to men right. in the incoming classes of the undergraduate college here. Mm-hmm and that obviously is not the makeup of the general population, right? Right. right? Right. And uh, that is carrying on through throughout higher education um, into master's degrees and PhDs. We've seen uh, the pendulum tip uh, on uh, PhD awards moving now more toward women than men. Uh And I think one of the, the topics that, it, at least from what I'm seeing, that higher education is not quite ready to engage in is that we are witnessing, in many ways, the success of a number of programs uh, that over the years have encouraged uh, young women coming up through high school to pursue mm-hmm. higher education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was an imbalance mm-hmm. for decades, of yep. course. Yep. And we we have seen uh, the actual success of these programs borne out in the actual data. Mm-hmm. And we're also seeing that across other areas where there has been uh, a representation in higher education that does not match the general population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a number of programs, whether it's for uh, Latinos or blacks or women, we are definitely seeing... Uh, increases in that representation uh, in higher education. Mm -hmm. Are we ready to take a step which says that we need to be much more aggressive about finding ways to recruit males Mm -hmm. into colleges and universities Mm -hmm. and extrapolate that across other areas where we are seeing significant imbalances? Now, the Piece that you reference in the New York Times, which is a uh, review of the Hawley book, also compared that to a another book that Richard been Reeves. Yeah, that's right. That's right. By yes. Richard Reeves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that in Reeves' book uh, of Boys and Men, um, which he's taking on, obviously many of the similar issues, mm-hmm. he's calling for more intentional projects mm-hmm. to uh, recruit and prepare young men. Mm-hmm. Um, for uh, a variety of positions in a changing workforce, and certainly um, using higher education colleges and universities as uh, an important part of that of that mix one
1: one of the most interesting things I took from that, Reeve's uh, part of the essay, something I didn't know was that men make up twenty four percent of K through twelve teachers,
2: yeah, which is yeah.
1: down from a third. About a generation ago, I didn't That's realize right. it was that. The difference was that stark. Well, when and we think it, about the importance of male role models, that 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 becomes increasingly important.
2: Well, and again, when you look at the other areas where there have been, again, a representation in particular industries that doesn't necessarily map the general population, mm-hmm. the argument has invariably been we need to make sure that there are role models for those specific areas. So if we're going to increase representation, say, of uh, minority college professors, we're doing that with an eye towards saying, we want to make sure that we have those examples for uh, minority students to progress and feel more welcome into the particular program. Mm -hmm. For there to be 24% of U.S teachers to be men, one wonders, then what is the question then we're raising about role models for boys Mm -hmm. in those schools?
1: No, I think that is the most important question. And as you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, we see a lot of interviews. We saw a lot of this during COVID too, but you know, for wonks like you and I who pay attention to education policy generally. As I was thinking through it, you know, I I can't remember the last time I saw a male spokesman for either the AFT or the NEA or one of their local affiliates. This is an entirely female-dominated field. It's not a complaint about that fact. It's a a concern about the fact that there is a lot of education, and it's not just around – reading and, and writing and arithmetic that goes on between the ages of 5 and 17 you know
2: and of course yeah but it it's again strikes back to that question around the importance of yeah. role models yeah. which yeah. i i agree <clears throat> i'm sorry i agree is real yeah um and of course the work that i've been doing here we've been doing here at Pepperdine in support of viewpoint diversity in mm-hmm. academia mm-hmm. is is also a part and parcel of that. If conservative college students don't have a sense that there is a community for them by going on into PhD studies, if they're going to feel like they're a constant minority and and a a group of people who are going to be dismissed within their chosen field, chances are they won't pursue that. And so if we're going to look at some of these other areas, the thought that for the first time we might get more aggressive about uh, and be more intentional about supporting and recruiting men into these positions yeah. Yeah. is is yet a step we have not seen what, yeah. at least higher education willing to take yeah
1: what an odd what an odd time to think what an odd thing to think that we've reached a time where we need affirmative action for men huh well, thing. and
2: that's that's part of the discussion yeah, here, and that's no, certainly part no. of what Reeves is no. is arguing for. And I don't necessarily disagree, well, at no, least I, on the I, grounds that yeah. you, when we have this conversation about the importance of of role models, when the difference is so dramatic. Yep. When again, we're looking at twenty less than a quarter of U.S. teachers in elementary through high schools yep. are uh, men. Yep. I think that's a, a that's question a we. It's a deficit
1: that's going to lead to worse deficits. Pete Peterson, Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Bless you, sir. Godspeed. Thank you for everything. Folks, how do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy with bank failures and stock market volatility and talk of a possible recession and... Inflation that is far from transitory. What if you could invest, though, in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like, where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal. If you need your money back at any time, Y-Refi has that investment. Your interest can be compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio offered up by Y-Refi. Y-Refi is based here locally, and they, as I, encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road, in the 101. Um, I've been there. Great, great folks. And you won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with that team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much. And you can as well. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Uh, or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. That's 888-Y-REFI-34. Um Just thinking about that conversation about men with Pete Peterson, that is an astounding thing to think about when you think about the importance of role modeling or um, the, uh, the importance of strong men in young boys' and girls' lives. And you think about education generally, yes, I mean, even just being in front of the classroom as a role model, even if you're not talking about, you know, the things that the things that that have anything outside of of the realm of academic work. Just the idea of seeing capable, strong, and decent human beings who are also men, because there has been this run against them for some time now, uh, whether it's toxic masculinity or shaming or the derogation of cowboys or, for that matter, um, industries or professions that have been in the past and probably still likely are most dominated by men like like law enforcement um as i was lamenting a little bit leading up to last friday the lack of lack of strength and the support for memorial day the lack of lack of uh, attention to memorial day just seemed to be lacking we'll see we'll see what what it looks like when it comes to father's day which is coming up and we should probably dedicate a couple of shows to the importance of that maybe we'll get Larry Elder on as well alright, I'm Seth, Rabbi Lush coming right up we'll be right back